All right. Well, good morning to you, which is also my subtle way of saying get back to your seat. I spent a few years at a church that when people released to shake hands, at best they moved like a seat over or two to maybe say hi to somebody, and that usually lasted all of a second and a half. Uh, I love watching what you do with this time. So uh, uh, great job being, uh, being a family, being a group that loves each other. Probably bothered by each other sometimes too, huh? But uh, you really love each other, and that's pretty awesome. Hey, so last night um, I got to go on a date night with my wife. Um, so, which is pretty cool. Um, thanks, Chuck and Lisa, for watching my girl and for uh, Jordan and Crystal taking the, the boys to Winter Jam. And uh, so, Shereen and I walked into a movie theater. We saw a movie called Old Fashioned. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never really heard of it. Somebody said it was good, so we said, okay, we'll go watch it. Um, I was absolutely floored and blown away by this movie uh, depicting uh, really a biblical way of how a man and a woman would view each other, respect each other, and eventually in the movie um, come together and be a couple and all that kind of stuff. I won't ruin it for you, um, but, but I was really blown away. So I came home, because again, I didn't know anything about the movie, the, the actors, anything. So I did a little research and I saw some reviews on it. And it was amazing that every, every review by somebody who went to see it, like the general public, you and me, loved it. Every critical professional reviewer hated it. And really, the biggest thing was they were saying it is a clear, underlining, religious uh, values movie. And here's what I thought. If those people just knew God the way I knew God, if they had experienced God the way I've experienced God, if they had him in their life the way I have him, it would, like, it would make total sense why this is such better life. And, uh, and then it just, it, I mean, it was light bulb, it dawned on me, you know, that is where we're going in our next series. And I felt I needed to make sure you know that. And so our next series is called The God I Wish You Knew. And I thought that is a perfect real life illustration for me to think there are people in my life that I run into every day that I think if they just knew God the way I knew God, it would not seem so corny, so out there, so weird in their life. It would seem real and right and true. And so we're going to do a whole series. It's a nine-week series. Uh, it's actually broken up in two different parts, and we'll tell you more about that as we're going on. But I'm going to tell you, as we, we talked about our resolutions at the beginning of the year, and the first resolution was to reach those far from God. This series is designed specifically for that. Now, we're going to talk about God, who he is, what he's about. You're going to learn stuff about God you didn't know. But the design of the whole series is for you to bring somebody with you that you would, just like me last night, would say, if they only knew God the way I know God. That's the design of this whole series. So can I just plead with you for a moment that when we start this series, starting March 1st, would you just, would you just beat the pavement, wherever you're at, whatever context God puts you in, for somebody who doesn't know God like you know God, to invite them to come. Whatever you have to do, take them out to lunch afterwards, you know, I mean, tell them you're, you know, your pastor is actually really good, um, you know, whatever you have to tell them, so you believe that or not, um, to get them here to come and be with you, because we're just going to walk through it, and I really believe at the end of that series, we're going to reveal God, letting the scripture reveal God in a way that the world around us, they, they don't know, but we've experienced it, so 
That's what that series is all about starting March 1st. It'll go the entire month of March. In fact, it'll lead us right up uh, into to Easter. So uh, uh, we appreciate you, you doing that. So this week, though, we're continuing Celebration of Hope. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, really the issue of hunger. Because in our three uh, steps, we're talking about education, as we talked about last week, and just the need for education and opportunity for uh, those, and we're specifically talking about Guatemala, uh, to build into them. And that's what we're doing when we go down there, help building the school. That's what you've been financially supporting. Um, Guatemala and where we're going is not the only place around the world that needs additional education. Um, but that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're, we're talking about the issue of hunger. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 25. And this, I would say, is a is a decently familiar passage to us at Scripture, and I want to take a look at it. And like we did last week where we noticed that Jesus kind of worded things in very creative ways to make very strong points, um, this is an interesting parable as well that he speaks about. And uh, how he gets into the parable is really the interesting part of this. Matthew chapter 25, it starts in verse 31 uh, of this passage, and I'm going to to work through it and read through it uh, with you. So if you've got there, did I give you enough time to get there? Yeah? Because I can, I can tell a joke or two if you need more time to get there. You're there? You guys, you love them. You know you do. You're just, you're just stubborn. All right. Matthew 25, verse 1. Here's what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Oh, very interesting beginning here. Now, this is a parable. Jesus is trying to teach really one clear point. If you're one that you like to take a parable, a story like this, and you like to take every single character and then break down every characteristic of that character to find some hidden spiritual meaning behind them, then you're missing the point of the parable. You're missing what Jesus tries to do with a parable there. And you probably will end up, you know, very frustrated in your process Let's step back and look at this and what Jesus is talking about. He creates a setting, all right? The setting is in glory, where Jesus is there with his angels and all the nations of the world, and everyone is before him, and it says that Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the the goats. Actually, it says Jesus is going to separate, and then he says, like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Now, I've never been a shepherd. Oh, I mean, spiritual shepherd here, I guess, but... uh, but it's a literal shepherd with sheep, uh, never quite done that. I've been to the petting zoos and stuff, and all I know is, you know, they're, they're kind of noisy, dirty, stinky animals uh, out there. But here's what actually happens. Um, that when you have a bunch of sheep out there, um, whitish, brownish, dirty, whatever sheep out there, it would be very easy for a goat to kind of get snuck into the sheep uh, and from a first glance and a quick look, you would think you just have all sheep out there, where you may actually have some goat mixed in out there as well. And for the shepherds at this time, not as valuable to have the goat uh, out there. So the sheep were the valuable, they were the prize here. Now, notice that the passage definitely says sheep and goats separating these two things that on first glance can look very similar. 
It doesn't say he's separated like a sheep and like, a, you know, an elephant. Um, that, that's pretty easy for us to be able to do, to take a first glance and know, what is that? That doesn't belong in there. Um, but take a look, first look at this. You get this picture of this setting where all this group in front of him could look very similar. It could look similar on first glance. And so you actually have to kind of pick through and decide who actually is sheep and who actually is goats here. That's the setting in the picture that we get in the parable. What's, what's the point? What does it matter here? Now remember who he's talking about. This is in the, in the inn when we're all gathered together that Jesus is doing this with his people. What is he getting at? It, seemingly, he's telling us that there is a group of people that on first glance look very similar. It looks, they, they all look like sheep, but there's goats among them there. So how do we decipher uh, who is a sheep and who is a goat for this passage? Or how is Jesus going to do some separation per this parable? Well, he goes on and he talks about it. And he says in the context of a king, here's what he says. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So you, you're what I'm looking for. Come. Receive what is here for you to receive, your inheritance. In fact, he says, I love how he says it, that it's there from the creation of the world. This has been set for you the whole time. Like, it wasn't that you all of a sudden earned it by how well you did your job or your life or whatever. It was set aside for you the whole time. Set aside for you, your inheritance. What is it? Look at what he says here. Verse 35. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit. It's the criteria that is being set. So as he says here, look, there's going to be sheep and goat like the shepherd, and he has this weed through and separate. How do you know what's the sheep and what's the goat? Here he's saying that the ones that are selected are what he just read. Hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, and on and on there. That's how he separates what he's trying to find there. The interesting part happens right after this, because the next verse, the next passage, it says, then the righteous, that's interesting right there. Notice how he's talking about uh, the metaphor of like a shepherd separates sheep. Now he's using the word righteous to describe these people, and he's just described the action of these people right before that. Now he's calling them righteous. The righteous will answer him and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in and needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? What he's saying is as as you look to the king in the parable of the story, they never saw the king in this context. And why would you? A king would never be in this type of context here. And so they're very confused by this. What do you mean you were in prison? You're, you've been the king. You've never been in prison. What are you talking about here? They're very confused as you would be. Like if, if you're, you know, your spouse maybe came up to you and said a passage like this, uh, unless your spouse maybe you know, was in prison and you went and visited um, them, I mean, you might go, you know, sure, what, what are you talking about? When was this incarceration? Um, it was confusing to them. And then this wonderful answer that the king replies in verse 40, 
The king says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So the king is setting this criteria to say, it's about who you are, what you do in general. It's not about what you just did for me, but who you are. What did you do in general for people? What did you do for those around you? How did you care for people who needed to be cared for when you had the opportunity, the time, and the resources to care for them? What did you choose to do about it? And those who said, we, we did that. Uh, we didn't know we were doing it for you, king, but we did that. And he is saying, you are the righteous. You are the one who I'm asking and inviting now to come and receive your inheritance. That's a pretty powerful story there. In fact, sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, we boil everything there is in the Christianity down to just, just, just love Jesus, just love God. And it is absolutely true, but with it goes a transformed heart with transformed actions. And that's what we're finding in this passage. They were out there serving out of what was just in their heart. In like way, he turns and he says, then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, those who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. You see, after he's done the separation, the sh like the shepherd, the sheep, and the goat, he looks at the sheep and says, hey, great inheritance because here's what you did. And goats, you get none of that. Now, listen to what the passage just says. There's not a lot of in-between area here as, he's, as he says this. It is receive your inheritance, or what does he say to it? Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's pretty strong words that Jesus is using here. In fact, in our contemporary church setting nowadays, we don't even like to talk about hell all that much. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're fearful of it. It's like, if you did great, wonderful, let's celebrate, we'll praise you, here's your testimony. You know, if you actually just said, forget it, I curse God, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with it, well, that's okay, you know, just keep trying. You know, that's, it's not okay is what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, there's a, there's a real hell. There, there's, a, there's real suffering. There's a, there's a real non-reward that comes as well. And then he identifies. Who are these people he's talking about? He says, look, you had the time. You had the resources. You had the ability to stand up and care for those who needed to be cared for, and you refused to do it. Do you see the separation that he's creating in this parable here? It's powerful. So what does that mean for us as a body of believers here? Um, this is the, the interesting and probably scary place. As believers on this planet, as people that say we are Christians, professing Christians, from those who are just passionately on their knees crying out to God, all the way to the person who maybe there's not much going on, but they, they feel the need to say thank God at the, before they get their you know, award on a stage. It, it doesn't matter. In this whole group that says Christian, I'm Christian, we look a lot alike. We look very similar in most of what we do. When you look at us, you would say, wow, kind of, okay, kind of Christian. They say they're Christian. They, you know, they look kind of Christian. In fact, on first glance, quick glance, you might say, wow, I mean, look, you're all in here in church. 
So you're all you know, just Christian, perfectly Christian. But look at what his criteria is. It's different. It's transformed heart, transformed actions. It's saying, what are you doing with your profession? Those of you who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, what are you doing with your profession? And here, it's very clear that what this parable is saying is you, you've got to be doing something with it. I mean, you have to be out serving those in need, that we have this connection and this, this, this relationship with Jesus Christ that one day started in your life when you surrendered to him, and then he said, now go and, and bless others the same way that I came down and surrendered my grace to you so that you can have right relationship with me. Now go be a blessing to others. And when they want to know what the source of, of why you're doing what you're doing, you point them to me, that they might have relationship with me as well. That's the whole point of it all. That's what Jesus is getting at here in this passage, and he's very powerful in what he says here. And so this morning, it, it very well be, be that as you're sitting out there, that you might like, man, at, in that definition, in that context, if, if that was the only piece of scripture that we had in our Bible this, this, this morning, I feel more goat than I feel sheep. I profess Christianity, but there are so many times when I can use my time, my energy, my resources, my money, whatever, to serve people in need, and I've just so often chose not to do it. Or I've chose to do it just enough that I kind of feel like I got it in this week, but I know there's, there's more of a drive in my heart, and there's more drive on what God wants me to do. And here's a wonderful part of the story is, I don't think in real life, unless, you know, you're working with magicians, a goat can turn into a sheep in real life, um, but in a spiritual sense, what God is talking, he can. It can happen. If you're willing just this morning to say, look, I'm way more goatish here today, to just surrender that to God and saying, God, that defines me. It looks like me. That's not what I want to be. I want to be more sheep in this passage. To surrender that before God. And in, in an instant, God receives any heartfelt surrender. And then he empowers you with his Holy Spirit to move forward in that transformed life. So I encourage you, take that step this morning, if that's you. Go ahead and t- take it. No reason walking out of here when you've heard God, nobody's talking to you about, and leave it for another day. It doesn't quite make sense. The burdens of life, do you remember the seed parable? The burdens of life come in and distract us. So today's a great day for it, all right? So this is what our celebration of hope is about. It is empowering us as a body of believers to do just what this passage talked about. In Guatemala, you may or may not know this, there's a population of 14.7 million people. So it's not a huge, huge, huge country. But 14.7 million people, you know, that's, a, that's about, you know, take Chicago and half down, and that's, a, that's you know, about where you're talking about there. Um, it ranks 133rd of 187 in a thing called the Human Development Index, meaning the development of countries. And when you take underdeveloped countries, it, it ranks 133rd of 187. So you can see a lot of struggles in their country as far as developing, developing infrastructures and things like that. It's been a, a struggle for them. The household income average in Guatemala is 
2740 U.S. dollars. It's pretty low. Compared to here in Greensboro, $39,630. They live on $2,700 a year in U.S. terms. The chronic undernutrition rate for children under five years old, it's 49.8%, meaning half of the kids under five have chronic malnutrition that they live with day in and day out. Is it the only place struggling with hunger in our world? No. Um, It's not even, we could go right here in our city and there's people struggling with hunger on this. This is just an area that has grabbed our heart. And when God grabs your heart on something, you just launch out and you, and you do it. If equally God has grabbed your heart for the people of, of Greensboro or for people you're in contact, then by all means, you do, not, you do not ignore that conviction of your heart. But this is something as a church that's grabbed our heart. And so really over this week, specifically talking about hunger, there's really three words that I think we're emphasizing. The, the first is, is empathy meaning that we want to feel like somebody else feels just, just to understand for a moment what they're going through. It's the you know, walking in somebody else's shoes type of mentality when you do that. I, I actually remember a time where I put high heels on, you know, and in my head I remember them being like six inch or five inch way up here, but I'm sure they were really short uh, heels and thinking how in the world do you women do it and why would you want to do it? So I, I just baffling um, there. That's what we're talking about, just empathizing. And so that's why we do our celebration of hope in in the week of solidarity. And in a few minutes, I'm going to ask Patty Kidder to come up and share with you about exactly what we're doing. It's a way to empathize. Do you enjoy it over the course of the week? Probably not. (laughs) Oh, But there are some powerful blessings and redirect of our thinking that comes out of it that are very much a joy and blessing to our heart. And so it's why we do it, and this is a fifth year we've been doing it. The second is the word give. And what we're calling you to is that over the course of this week, as you're saving money on hitting up a restaurant or two, that we're putting that money aside and we'll give it to our compassion offering next Sunday morning, which will go 100% to Guatemala, 100% towards Caroline's Promise work in Guatemala, working towards education and hunger and the spreading of the gospel. That's our three things we're focusing on. And so we just believe we, in this, a group this size, we could give a huge offering next week that could go down and be a blessing. In fact, that $2,740, which is the household income, I, I don't see any reason why a congregation our size at the end of the day couldn't say we just supported like a whole family for a year. That's the amount of offering we gave uh, on one Sunday. Um, and I think we can do that next Sunday morning. So that's our compassion offering. The final word is the word go. And as you know, we've been talking about and highlighting a team. Now, every person from Wendover Hills can't go. I understand. Some of you have health issues, work issues. Um, It's okay. As a body, though, we're going, and we've had a great response. And so here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to look at it as, well, this, this group, you know, is going, and they're like their own little group out there going. This is you going when we introduce this group and the people that are going down. You'll have your way of supporting and caring for them and resourcing them, but it's your group. It's your church that's going down to Guatemala. And I, I wanted to take just a moment this morning um, to introduce you now that we've got it kind of finalized. 
to those that are, are going on this trip so you understand who, it are, who, who they are. And we're going to have a big prayer time for them at another, at another date, but today I just want to introduce them to you. So if you are going, would, do you mind? I'll call your name. Just come on right up to the front, and, and uh, we'll do it uh, rather quick, but this is the go part of this morning. So Stephen, Stephanie Martins. Yeah. So uh, Caroline. Tucker Bethune. Patrick and Logan Breeze, Eric and Logan Cartrett, uh, Tom Sheree and James Raven, Dan Kidder, Mike Gilbert, Sahara Woods, Richard Leslie and Clayton Lau. Amy and Morgan Brindle, and Corbin Brewer. So when you average uh, about 170 people on Sunday morning and you get to introduce a team of close to 20 that are going, um, that means you got like 10% of your church that is going um, for you. But it's not a 10% of the church thing. It's all of us uh, participating and involved. And so uh, we're going to pray for them another time. We're going to be highlighting them and what, what's going on specifically uh, at, at, an, at another date. But I wanted you to, to know who they were so that uh, this, this is who's going to go and represent our whole church. So would you give them another hand as they go back? Thanks. Great to be here. So exciting to see that we've got 20 people from Wendover Hills going in June to Guatemala. I am just thrilled. Um, <clears throat> as Thomas mentioned already this morning, this week is our week of solidarity. And, and he, as he also mentioned, it's an opportunity for us to identify with, to come alongside of um, the people of Guatemala and to partner, in a sense, by eating a diet that would be very similar to the food that they eat day in and day out. And uh, the typical diet in Guatemala is a very, very simple diet for those that are living in poverty. It basically consists of tortillas, beans, and rice, and occasionally some vegetables when those are available. Very simple diet. The average family probably eats from one to two meals a day, not three meals a day, like we eat. So um, the food intake is much, much less. But we want to, we want to identify with them this week, and that's why we're having our week of solidarity. Um, you either sat on a chair this morning that had a plastic bag, or you sat next to one. And in this bag, it just gives some, some, uh, gives some food ideas. It gives uh, a little bit of rice, some beans, and a tortilla to remind you of the food. What we're asking you to do is t uh, each family to take one of these home today, put it on your kitchen countertop, and keep it there this week. It's a reminder, okay? And then um, begin cooking up beans and rice, and we want you to, to make that your diet this week. I've listed out foods for each of the meals. Um, for breakfast, you've got a couple options. There's a very traditional Guatemala breakfast that is eaten there. It consists of refried black beans, and it has an actual name, so if you want to Google this, 
frijoles volteados, and you can get a recipe for it. That is served with a fried egg on top and a corn tortilla with it. So if you want to be authentic, that can be your breakfast this week. If not, we have cooked cereal as another option, oatmeal, grits, something of that sort. Lunch and dinners will be very much the same. Um, they will consist of beans, and it's usually black beans in Guatemala, but if you, know, you have others, that's fine too. Um, rice, and then tortillas. And those tortillas generally are corn tortillas because corn is a major, a major product that is raised in Guatemala. Um, we've added one additional thing this year, and that is a fresh salsa, um, a pico de gallo. Um, they've got a recipe for a, a dish in Guatemala called chirmo, and that is very similar to our pico de gallo. So we're going we're gonna to add that to our menu as well. And that will make it, I think, a little bit more interesting to eat as we go through the week. Um, beverages, we usually ask you to just drink water, but this year we've added coffee because Guatemala is a huge coffee-producing country. So that will make a big difference for a lot of you, I think. <laughs> And I should mention also that sugar is also a big commodity down there, and the Guatemalans actually do put a lot of sugar in their coffee. So that's an option. But no caramel macchiatos, okay? we got to stick with just coffee, all right? <laughs> Again, we just want you to think about the country of Guatemala this week as you go through it, and most importantly, as you eat this diet, would you pray? Pray for the Guatemalan people, for their needs, their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. Um, that's probably the most important aspect of this week. So I encourage you to take part in this. You're going to save a bunch on your grocery uh, uh, shopping trip, and that money can actually go towards our offering next Sunday. So thank you so much. what goes on this week, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to finish off our, our service with our tithes and offerings, but I need to tell you uh, good news and bad news. The good news is we don't have to tear down our chairs this week.